welcome to Outside the Uprights. This is episode one of season one with your hosts, Dylan Graham and Zach Miller. We are super excited to bring you guys this podcast. Um, as much as we talk about sports and as much as we argue about sports, we figured we'd bring it to the general public. So here it is. Yes. Zach say some words. Um, I'm Zach. I've actually been thinking about doing a podcast for quite a while now. And uh, I'm excited to kick this off with the other host, Dylan. Yeah, this has been something that we've talked about a bunch and um, it's always kind of been a maybe uh, we'll talk about it. And finally, like I just I, I sent te- Zach a text uh, a couple days ago and said, dude, let's do it. And we both didn't hesitate. So here we are. We're excited. So I think we should jump straight into the first topic. Um, probably the biggest sports news of the week. We've got Russell Westbrook heading to the Lakers. Uh, what, is, what is your first thoughts on that? Uh, my first thoughts were, uh, yeah, he'll be a good veteran piece because he knows what it takes to win. It just most of the time he hasn't had the pieces that he has in L.A. now to do something. But the thing that I'm kind of hesitant about is how L.A. needs shooters and they're bringing in a slashing, a slashing playmaker in a sense where they don't have many shooters on the team. Um, I've heard that argument a lot. Um, but at the same time, I saw LeBron James win a title, and granted it was the COVID title and there was all sorts of things going on around him, but I saw him win a title without Russell Westbrook. Um, you saw the Lakers struggle this year. I'm not necessarily worried about the shooting. I mean, you have somebody who a lot of people around the world claim is the, the best of all time. And then you just add another superstar to that mix um, with Russell Westbrook. And I mean, the dude scores with, with no hesitation. He does, he does it all. I mean, he's one of the best all around players that's ever played the game in basketball. Um, So I don't, I don't worry about the, the three point line as much as I've heard the argument. Um, I think these guys can score. I think they can play defense. I think they can do it all. So the three point doesn't worry me as much as a lot of people, it worries them. So you think the Lakers would be able to get past the Nets with only shooting, say, 10 three-pointers a game? That's my thing with the Lakers-Nets argument, and we'll jump straight into that with which big three would you take. I don't know because we saw the Nets' big three this year, and granted there was injuries and there was this and that, and Kyrie was gone for two weeks, but they the Nets just didn't do it. They weren't there. Um, and granted, again, you – only one or two of the big three was playing in the playoffs. Um, but I don't know. That big three worries me because, like I said, they didn't produce this year. Um, and in the regular season, it wasn't that they were hurt or they were injured. You had Kyrie Irving leaving for, I think it was two or three weeks before he came back. Um, it just seems like a lot of it, – it almost seems to me that they couldn't live up to the pressure, to the hype, and I, if that's the best way to say it. Um, they struggled. They didn't. I mean, that was a team that every, everybody at the beginning of the season said it'll be the Lakers and the Nets in the in the playoffs or in the um, NBA finals. And so we get to the play. We get to the playoffs. Both teams are there and the Lakers had to play play in games. And you still hear it's going to be the Lakers and the Nets in the finals. And then neither one of them even play in their conference finals. And it's kind of like, wow, you know. So you think the Nets let the outside media get in their head I do I think that it was too much pressure of they were I mean it was guaranteed they were going to win an NBA finals or at least play in it and then they made a very early playoff exit um so I'm I'm gonna start my argument I'm gonna go with the Lakers the Lakers big three of Anthony Davis LeBron James and Russell Westbrook I think they're overall better players um no discredit to the Slim Reaper or Kyrie Irving or any of those guys but they, they didn't produce this year and LeBron James has been producing for years with little to no talent around him. And now he has that big talent around him with Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook. So that is the big three that I think will make a further run. And that I think has the better chance to NBA finals. Let me, let me ask you this. Since you said that the Nets big three didn't do anything, what did LeBron and AD do last year? I get it. They, they left the playoffs very early as well. Um, but at the same time, I just 
I think Russell Westbrook adds a completely different element and takes pressure off of the guys around him, which is what you were expecting from Harden and Durant and Kyrie, but it, it didn't happen. But I mean, as soon as Russell Westbrook came to Washington this year, it immediately took pressure off of Bradley Beal. His, his numbers ha- dropped because he had someone around him. Bradley Beal yeah. was scoring 50 points a game and his numbers dropped to about 30, which granted is still insane. Yeah. But Russell Westbrook took the pressure off of Bradley Beal. So when you have those two guys with LeBron and Anthony Davis, and then you add Russell Westbrook to that mix, who's going to help rebound, he's going to play defense, he's going to score. I think it takes a lot of the pressure off of those two guys. Okay. I think I'm going to have to go with the Nets still. Just because we all know what Kevin Durant can do. Great all know what, all time, I think. Yes. We all know what James Carden can do. Right? Great shooter. And then you add one of the best all-time ball handlers into that lineup. Granted, there are games where he doesn't show up and produce like he should. But that's every single professional athlete in every single sport. You'll always have a bad game, a bad week, whatever. So that's my argument for Nets big three. And I can agree with that. And as much as I loved this year's final between two teams that everybody said wouldn't be there, um, I loved it. I love seeing, you know, Chris Paul get back to an NBA finals and um, Giannis, obviously the hometown ring. That's, that's awesome to see. I, I absolutely loved it, but I'm also super excited to see this battle between the Lakers and the Nets next year. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah, I think it'll be really fun to watch, and no matter what happens, it'll be super fun to watch play out, whether one of them wins it or one of them loses it. Um, I'm super excited for it, though. I think it's 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 bringing another element to basketball where although most of these teams that are competing are quote-unquote super teams, um, when there's enough of them, it's fun to watch. For sure. For sure. So then, um, I, I mean, I guess we can jump straight into the NBA draft. I don't think much. But either one of us have much to say on that. Um, I'll just start with the number one overall pick, Cade Cunningham. He was going to go to whoever was picking number one, no matter what. Um, I love Cade Cunningham. I watched him play in the tournament for the short period of time that they were still alive in the tournament. He's a generational talent. I mean, he can score from all three levels. He plays defense. He rebounds. Um, obviously, the Pistons, in my book, have an A-plus for that pick. No matter who was picking number number one, Kate Cunningham was going there. Okay. Um, Jalen Green. I love the Jalen Green pick as well. Um, I think that he was also one of those guys that was guaranteed to go number two. It would have taken a lot to let him fall. He's just – I think my biggest thing for him is – if he didn't go straight to the G League, he probably is the number one pick over Cade Cunningham if he plays in college. But he does now have that experience playing against semi-professional athletes and putting up great numbers. I think he's he has the talent to be a future scoring champion in my in my eyes. And the same goes for Cade Cunningham. So the Rockets make a great pick there as well. Okay. Um, and then to I believe number five is when Jalen Suggs went off the board. Yep, he number five. Um, he's going to go to Orlando. He's going to play with Cole Anthony. Um, those two are going to be great together. They're both young. The, the Magic are really building a, a good core, I think. And we saw that Jalen Suggs can hit the big shots. You saw him jump on the table in the tournament. And um, I love that pick as well. So those are my three big A-pluses from, from the draft. Okay. Um, I really only have one, and that's uh, Evan Mobley. The center okay. that the Cavaliers took. Yep. I think that's a good pick because, as we know, the Cavaliers just traded Tristan Thompson, what was it, a year ago to Boston, and then Boston just traded him to Atlanta. Yeah, Boston just shipped him out. So he's not going to get playing time his first year, like the minutes that he wants, but I think he'll have enough impact where – Maybe halfway through the season, if not near the end, he'll he'll have some serious playing time. Um, I can agree with that. I the only thing I fear about this pick, and you knew that the Cavs were going to take a center. That's what they do, and it was almost certain that it was Mobley. Um, it's not a center built league anymore, and that's yeah. Evan Mobley feels like a true center to me. 
which is great. He can rebound. He plays defense. Um, I worry about being a true center in today's NBA. Um, in such a guard-built league, it feels like the Cavs probably should have gone guard, although we all knew they wouldn't. We all knew that they were taking a center, and it was probably Mobley. I, I love the kid. I hope he produces, and I can agree with what you said. But the way the Cavs are performing right now, I don't know if that was the right pick for them. Um, and like I said, it's a, it's a super guard-based league. And if you don't have the guards, you're not going to produce and you're not going to win. And I don't think that a rookie guard takes Cleveland to the finals or let alone the playoffs. But I would have liked to see them go guard. And like I said, we all knew that they wouldn't. We all mm-hmm. knew that it was Evan Mobley going off the board at three. So from that perspective, I, I, I like the pick. Um, if we all knew they were going center, I like that that's the one they took. Um, but I think it's going to take a lot more to get Cleveland back to where they were. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's going to take more than a draft class to get them back into the playoffs. For sure. All righty, this is the one that's been um, tearing my week apart piece by piece. As The viewers don't know this yet, but I'm an avid Chicago Cubs fan. Um, so the MLB trade deadline, let's recap. We'll go over the biggest winners and the losers. And wow, this has torn my week apart. <laughs> Zach is a Yankees fan over there. Is I am. I am all sorts of excited. So let's, let's hear what you got for it. So don't get me wrong. I'm glad that our management is finally going after more power hitters and Anthony Rizzo and Joey Gallo. But if you follow baseball or any professional sport, really, you know that it doesn't just take the offensive side of the ball to win games. You also need defense. So in baseball terms, you pretty much need a bullpen, which as of late, Yankees bullpen, we all know how that's been recently. So I think that we should have went for – a star ace, in my opinion. Yes, Garrett Cole, but you need more than one person. I can agree with that. Um, I do have the Yankees as a winner on my draft recap. Um, here's my thing. You add a gold glover in Anthony Rizzo, a gold glover, a silver slugger, four-time all-star. He's a World Series champion. He's been there. He knows how to win. Um, I watched Anthony Rizzo hit a home run last night. Um in the wrong set of pinstripes, it hurts to watch, but um, I will note that he had Chicago bat tape cleats and uh, batting gloves on, so that that leaves a little bit of hope. Um, my thing with the Yankees is you're adding a ton of power in a power-based league this, these days, and Garrett Cole's been struggling ever since the whole sticky stuff investigation, but the Yankees pitching staff doesn't worry me because I think that if Garrett Cole can – pull it together the entire staff can pull it together and a lot of times that's all it takes is one guy pulling it together and you know get getting hot at the right time um so that doesn't really worry me like I said these guys are going to score and they're going to score a lot um in in an offensive base league right now it's almost like the best comparison to it is the NFL right now where it's I think these playoffs and the rest of the season is going to come down to who's going to score the most okay so I'm not necessarily worried about the bullpen. I do think there's some questions in it, but I think come crunch time, these guys will score and they'll score a lot of runs and it'll, I think the Yankees are a deep, deep playoff threat. Uh, my, my next um, winner, uh, the, I mean, you can't look past it. The Los Angeles Dodgers are, they, that's might be the trade of the century. I don't think we've seen anything like this. Um, you take Max Scherzer and Trey Turner and send them to LA. Um, I, that's a slam dunk. You're adding speed, power, contact out of Turner, and we all know what Mad Max is capable of. He's he's a freak, one of the best hurlers in the game. Um, I think that's a gr- great for the Dodgers, and especially in that NL West where you're, you know, there's there's three teams in that division that are going to make the playoffs. Um, between San Francisco, L.A., and um, the Padres. That's just ridiculous. Um, that division is so star-studded that it, it one of those teams had to go out and do something special during the deadline. 
Um, and I think this is a move that could push the Dodgers in the first place. Um, and in that division, you don't want to, as even though we all know that three of those teams are going to the playoffs, you don't want to get put in that wild card game because those two teams are going to have better records than some of the division leaders and they're going to have to play each other in a wild card game. And the Dodgers at the deadline, I think they just said that they didn't want that to be them. So they went out and made a big move and I, I like it. I love it. Okay. Um, on the flip side of that, the Padres, um, I have them on my losers board because they were in the battle for uh, Scherzer, they were in the battle for Bryant. They were in the battle for a lot of guys, and they just wouldn't give up what it took to get them. Um, and basically, just the exact opposite of what I said of the, of the Dodgers. You know, they're going to get stuck. I think they're going to get stuck playing in that wild card game because they didn't want to go out and do something big at the deadline. Um, and I, I, I don't like what they did. They kind of just sat back and watched it all unfold. And um, the Giants and the Dodgers went out and did things to secure their spot in the division and the Padres let just sat back and let it go. Um, I think that they're going to, again, I do think that all three of those teams, um, the Dodgers, the Giants and the Padres will be playing in the playoffs, yeah. but one of them is going to get to sit back and watch the wild card round unfold. And I don't think it'll be the Padres at this point. Okay. I can agree with that. Cause we all know what Fernando Tatis is capable of. I really don't follow the Padres like that, but um, it takes more than one consistent hitter to win ball games. So I was expecting them to go after another contact hitter, but I guess not. Yeah, it takes a village, and um, kind of like you said, and I just don't like it. You know, those two teams above them went and did what it – was going to take to make every push they can to not have to play in that first round. And they just kind of sat back and watched it happen. So I'd have them on my losers board. Um, the White Sox, the White Sox weren't huge in the deadline, but I have them on my winner's board. Um, I know they have Liam Hendricks, a great closing pitcher. He's an all-star, one of the best in the league. And they went out and they put another great arm in their bullpen in Craig Kimberly or Craig, Jesus, Craig Kimbrell. Um, and it just adds depth to the bullpen and that team scores pretty well there. I don't see anyone in that division making a push. So, you know, you can get those guys some rest during the regular season, but I, I think it's great to add that to your bullpen, especially with a team like that that doesn't necessarily score a ton but that is capable of winning ball games on playing small ball and, you know, a bloop and a blast and then letting the bullpen handle it. So I love that they, you know, get Kimbrell to the other side of Chicago. I think he'll be great for the Sox. I, I like that pickup as well because they, they're another team that needs depth in the bullpen. And then – the Nationals, um, I didn't expect them to do that at the deadline. I wasn't expecting them to ship their two best guys out. I was I was expecting Scherzer to be gone. Um, I, I When I heard that Trey Turner was involved in that package, I was shocked. Um, Trey Turner's great, you know, contact speed. He can put the ball over the fence. He plays a great defensively. Um, I thought that that would be – I like I said, I knew Scherzer was gone. I didn't think they were going to make a push – for the World Series this year. They're too far back. Um, but I felt that with the right moves in the offseason, Trey Turner could be a great cornerstone to build around, and they didn't do it. So um, I'm interested to see what they're doing because now they, they have Scherzer gone, Rendon's gone, and Turner's gone. And even Schwarber, they sent Schwarber out too. I forgot about that one. It's just Oh, yeah, he went to Boston, didn't he? Yeah, it's just kind of one of those things where I wasn't expecting any of those guys to leave except for Scherzer. I was expecting them to build around that team. So um, it just kind of goes to show you they signed Scherzer or Schwarber in the offseason. They were World Series or bust this year, and they went bust. Yes, they did. And then the inevitable that I did not want to talk about, but here we are on outside the uprights, the Chicago Cubs. These guys went – I don't think we've ever seen a seller like this at the deadline. They – Everybody's gone. 
Jock Peterson. They got rid of Schwarber in the offseason. Bryant's gone. Rizzo's gone. Javier Baez is gone. Um, I look, I, you know, I'm win or lose. I'm a Cubs fan. So I tuned into the game last night and I'm looking at the lineup and I'm saying, Oh my God, Uh, the, the average Cubs fan is going to have no idea who these guys are. Um, as much as it hurts to kind of agree with the moves, I do agree with them. I mean, they're in a position where they weren't winning they just weren't getting it done. Um, they had the talent to do it, and they ju- it just wasn't working. Um, you know, it's going to be a long probably four or five years for Cubs fans, um, but I think it was time to make some changes and start building around a young core again, which we've never seen. You know, in 2016, it was, you know, the Cubs are – getting hot and they're saying, okay, we have, a, we have a chance to win this thing. So they go out and they get a role this Chapman at the deadline and they end up winning the world series. And, um, you know, that's kind of the same thing the Yankees did this year is they they're saying we have a shot at this thing. Let's go do it. Um, so I think Cubs are Cubs fans are doomed for the next four or five years. But I think that I, I, I love the direction they're going here because they had a power-filled lineup with Baez, Rizzo, and Bryant, and Wisdom, and all those guys. But, um, you know, it's not like they just got rid of these guys for you know, a Pepsi. Like, they made some really good moves, I think. They brought in a lot of young prospects that can make them very dangerous for years to come. They bring in Nick Madrigal. Nick Madrigal has never hit three, under 300 in his life. Um, and that's high school, college, and pros. Okay. Never hit under 300 in his career. Um, so I think the way they're going is instead of trying to bring in a bunch of guys that are going to give you 30 home, 30 solo home runs a year, they're going to try and manufacture runs and put the ball in play and see what happens. Um, so that's my take on it. Again, I hate to not see those guys playing in Cub uniforms, but at the end of the day, you have to do what's best for business, and the Cubs are in rebuild mode. So they did – They went all out on the rebuild and these next four years of cup baseball will be very rough to watch. So it it will be, but (laughs) it'll also be very, very interesting to see what they can do without those star players, but also to see what the rebuilding process will look like. Agreed because um, Chicago's never really built a young team. I mean, Rizzo and Bryant fell into their laps and those are guys that like from the day from day one you knew that they couldn't get rid of them and in 2016 when they made that trade for Araldis Chapman they got rid of um, Glaber Torres who's now the Yankees start he's, he's their leadoff hitter or their eight hitter one of the two um, and the Yankees were able to develop him and get him to the big league level so I'm excited to see if we can develop some of these guys and get them to the big league level and that's something that we really never have seen from the Cubs is to be able to develop. So we'll see how that works out. And um, as much as it hurts right now, I think it'll be some really good things coming in the non-foreseeable future. Is there anything else that you want to touch on from the deadline? Oh, the Giants. I didn't put the Giants on there. Um, obviously, you know, they're, they're leading the NL West. It's a crazy division right now. Like I said, three of those teams are going to play in the playoffs. Um, they really didn't have much that they needed. Uh, they're, they, they don't give up runs is why the giants are so good. They're one of the very few teams in baseball that just doesn't give up runs. Their pitching staff with no star, no big names on that pitching staff outside of Kevin Gosman. They just, nobody scores on them. They can afford to put up three runs a game and win. Um, and now you bring in Chris Bryant and that's a, obviously I don't need to, tell you how big of a bat that is he was having an I mean a career year he was putting up more numbers in the last three months there are better numbers in the last three months than he did his MVP year Um, so that's I mean obviously they're winners they're already winning their division they go out and do something really really big in getting in uh Chris Bryant so I think that's my prediction for the NL West I think the Giants win it um they're just kind of sitting back and watching it unfold. 
And like I said, they, they guys just can't score off of them. They they play the Dodgers and the Padres once every two weeks, and neither one of those teams can just score. In a star-studded lineup like the Dodgers and the Padres, those are the two teams you think are going to put up major numbers against the Giants, and they just can't do it. And nobody knows what it is. Nobody understands why. There's there's one all-star on that pitching staff, and they just can't seem to score. So that's my trade deadline recap. If there's anything else that you want to add on to that? You're forgetting about one of the other studs on Chicago. Who? Who? Javi? Yeah, going to the Mets. Yeah, um... I'll tell you the one Mets thing. Is tough for me. Francisco Lindor and Javier Baez are going to make up a, a great middle infield. Um, Jacob Degrom is obviously. I I don't need to say anything about him. You know who he is, whether you watch baseball or not. Noah Syndergaard is a, has the potential to be great. He has been great in in past years, and he's starting to get back to that level. Um, but the Mets are one of those teams. They just they struggle to score. And adding Javier Baez, I don't know, is the right – I don't know if it's the so the end-all, be-all solution to their problems. Um, Javier Baez is great. He gold glover on defense. He's He can hit the ball out of the park. He can put doubles in the gap. But at the same time, he's we've seen a really different Javier Baez where he's trying to adapt to the new era of baseball. And with him, it seems like it's strikeout or bust, and he's – really taking tools out of his tool belt. Um, so, so like I, saying I, I, when he came to New York. What, what was that? So like Stanton when he came to New York. Yeah, and obviously Stanton is adjusted and um, the Yankees are dangerous and deadly. So I don't know. I'm excited. I, I wish all of those Cubs that got traded the best and I'll be, you know, watching the playoffs crying in my <laughs> – Baez and my Bryant jerseys, but um, I, I just don't know if the Mets can start putting up runs. Like I said, Francisco Lindor and Javi Baez might be the best middle infield in baseball. That's just ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Um, it's just going to be a matter of, you know, if those guys can all put up numbers and get Jacob DeGrom some help. I, uh, I have like a sleeper MLB tread trade deadline and that's nelson cruz to tampa bay i did see that cruz to tampa bay tampa's good um they're one of those teams that just kind of sneaks up um you know they're not the dodgers they're not the padres they don't have all this salary cap they're spending all over the place they just kind of sit back and watch the action unfold and just win yeah um just like last year i mean nobody saw tampa bay coming into the world series and I, I'm still, I still believe that they win the World Series if Kevin Cash leaves um, Tyler Glass now in the pitch. Dude was like just shoving the ball down guys' throats. They couldn't touch him, and then you know you bring him out and they give him a three spot, and they end up losing the World Series because of it. Um, that pitching staff is just great from top to bottom in Tampa. They have a good lineup that, you know, you don't really see any of them going deep, but they play small ball. They put the ball in play, get them on, get them over, get them in. Is yep. what Kevin Cash does, and he does it really well. Um, and now you add some pop to that lineup with Nelson Cruz, and I, I really like the direction Tampa Bay is going. I think he'll be a good veteran piece because Cruz – I think Cruz will tell them what they could – kind of coach him in a way. I mean, yeah, he's new to the organization, but it never hurts to listen. So I think he'll have some good words for the new team that he's going to. I can agree with that. And like you said, yeah, I mean, veteran leadership means a lot in the locker room. Um, it, it really does. It's just another guy that's been – I will, don't, wouldn't necessarily say been to the big game, but he's been in the show for a long time, and he's got some great experience. And when you pair that with the young guys of, you know, Kevin Kiermeyer and Randy Rosarena, it, I, I think it's dangerous. That's a great outfield out there is Nelson Cruz, Kevin Kiermeyer, and um, Randy Rosarena. You're not necessarily getting a ton of defense out of Nelson Cruz, 
Um, he, you know, he's an average outfielder, but he's a great hitter. Um, I think it's great to see him away from the Twins. Yeah. Although the Twins had the run last year where they were, you know, the not last year, excuse me, the year before where the, you know, the bomber squad and all that nonsense and they couldn't get it done in the playoffs, but I really like the move to get Nelson Cruz as well. Yes, I, I agree with that. So, I mean, if you're done, I think we still got time. We can head over to the, the college football world that we've been so excited to talk about for the last, since the college football playoff was over last year. Sounds good to me. All right, so we'll start with we can just do our super early NCAA predictions, I think. And we'll start with your conference, the Big 12. Okay. Well, I'm just going to start it off by saying horns down forever. Horns down forever. Giga mags. But I also got to realize that if it wasn't for Texas and OU, and I'm not just talking about college football, I'm talking about the whole athletics department as a whole. If it wasn't for Texas and OU, the Big 12 wouldn't be what it is today. Because you won't have, hurts me to say this, but I'm an unbiased fan. So you're not going to have Iowa State, Kansas State, West Virginia, or TCU competing for a national title without having the, the competitive side of OU and Texas. And we just saw that last year with Iowa State where – Iowa, Iowa State beat them in the regular season. So did Kansas State. But look what happened in Dallas. Yep. Yes, it was only a six-point game. But still, OU came out on top, and that's that's really all it is. Yeah, I mean, I as much as it, I hate to say it, um, Texas every year comes in – as the you know a, top, a preseason at least top 15 usually a preseason top 10 and then they always end the year with three losses but just the hype around a win against Texas um I mean it's it sends school every school in the Big 12 except for Oklahoma I would say into just party mode you know Iowa State beats Big 12 or beats uh Texas and they they party in Ames and the same goes for any other team in the Big 12. You know, they beat Texas, they beat Oklahoma, and that town is buzzing, and you know, for a week until the next Saturday when it's time to get business done. Yep. Um, so I would say the hype around the win against Texas is really good for those schools. Um, but to a competitive standpoint, a win against Oklahoma is huge. A, it's a momentum boost, and B, it looks really good to a – a playoff committee, a bowl game committee, things like that. Um, so the I think these next uh, four years, a lot of these Big 12 teams are going to have a lot of fire going into those games um, just because of, you know, Texas and Oklahoma have been confirmed. They're going to the SEC in 25. So those, you know, those matchups these next four years are going to be Really, uh, really, I, I mean, the best way I can put it is dog fights. You know, that's a game that you're going to want to go in and win. And you're going to want to do whatever it takes to win, whether that's put up 14 points and hold them to 10 or whether that's put up 45 and hold them to 42. You know, it's just those games are going to be dog fights. And I'm super excited to watch. Um, I, I don't know. I won't even get into the move to the SEC. We'll save that for next week when we got a little bit more time. But I'm excited to watch, you know, those games with uh, the middle feeders of the Big 12 and the top dogs of the Big 12 against those two teams. I'm excited. So would you still consider Texas as a top dog for the Big 12 after the last couple of years? Or do you think Sarkeesian is going to come in and give them that second place? It's... Uh... It's tough for me because Iowa State is a program on just, I mean, the moves or the, the way that they've competed over the last few years, or not even last few, really the last two years with Campbell coming in and the, the I would say that there's been a major culture change in Ames, Iowa. Um, Matt Campbell's done a great job with that program. And it, 
I wouldn't consider Texas a, a top dog anymore. You know, I they come in third every year. Um, in that I my I I see them being a third place team as okay. long as you know Matt Campbell keeps doing Matt Campbell things in Ames, and I don't see anything changing in Oklahoma. Um, so I guess that leads me into my top four prediction in the Big Twelve, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go with um Oklahoma and Iowa State playing in a Big 12 championship again I and this year I think Iowa State edges them out um they're recruiting Oklahoma has the number one recruiting class or number one ranked recruiting class in the Big 12 um you can't look past it they they consistently bring in four stars I think they have two fives or it's either one or two five stars that they brought in but you saw it last year when they when Iowa State beat Oklahoma it's five star recruits five star culture um and I, Matt Campbell has that in Ames. And I, I think that Iowa State edges out Oklahoma for college football um, Big 12 this year. I, I think that Iowa State wins the Big 12 with Oklahoma losing in the Big 12 championship game. Um, I would go Oklahoma, or not, excuse me, I would go Texas at number three. And I actually have West Virginia at number four this year instead of um, OK State. Um, West Virginia has a better recruit recruiting class than OK State had and um, West Virginia has always been one of those teams where you know they're either they're hit or miss they're either going to place third or they're going to place dead last and um, I think this is one of those years with the, the recruiting class they're bringing in that I think they are a number three team in the Big 12 and a team that's going to push Iowa State and Oklahoma and make those games fun to watch and competitive I uh I agree with that. I'd have my top four the same. The thing that scares me the most is West Virginia is a trap game. Yeah. West Virginia game could be the game where Iowa State goes to New Year's Six Bowl or plays in on December 28th. Right. I just – my biggest thing with Iowa State, and we've we've had you've seen this argument in the the last two years, is is Brock Purdy going to produce? And last year, I don't think that he produced to the numbers that he can. He he was great last year. He led him to a Big Twelve title game, a regular season Big Twelve title, and then a Big Twelve championship game. Um, but I I, I think that Brock Purdy can do more, and I think that if you know, these if he plays to the level that we all think he can play to, I think he could be a first round draft pick this year. Um, he's he's putting up good numbers and winning with not, I mean, good receivers around him. You have to be good to play in the Big 12, right? But the, the only star on that team is Charlie Kohler, I think. He's got great backs out of the backfield, don't get me wrong, but his receivers just, they're, they're good, but they're not. I don't think they're top two rounds of the NFL draft worthy. But the thing is, you also got to experience or uh, realize is Iowa State receiving core hasn't had that much of experience playing with Brock. Right. I agree with you. And I, I see that. Um, but at, at the end of the day, I, I do think that if Iowa State wins a big 12 title, Brock Purdy has to be in the Heisman can conversation which I, I think he will okay. um and with a team like that like you know you I would say it doesn't bring in five-star recruits or even four-star recruits really they they have to get the most out of Brock Purdy they can and like I said I think with this season he could be a number one draft pick, or not number one draft pick a first round draft pick um so I think their the, their success is going to totally ride on the shoulders of Brock Purdy and Charlie Kohler um their defense is you know, about as good as a Big 12 defense can be. Um, I'm excited. Um, I'm excited to watch Iowa State football this year and see where they end up. But my prediction is that they win the Big 12 outright in the regular season and that they win it in the Big 12 championship game. Okay. So since you say that, what is your prediction for Iowa State's record? I... I've been going up and down between a one loss and an undefeated season. I think my prediction is that they'll go undefeated. I think they'll beat 
I don't think they struggle with anybody outside of West Virginia, Texas, and Oklahoma. And I think they come out on top of all those games. Um, they've proven time and time again that they can beat those teams in the regular season. And even last year, they proved that they can compete with them in the title game. Okay. And you know, I, uh, there's a lot of hype going on around them. And I think ESPN had them of the pre preseason like six, right? Yeah, I mean, there's every website you go to, they'll be they'll be at a different spot just because got to worry about Oklahoma, Texas. Right. With with Iowa State, we all know that everyone overlooks them. They're always like, oh, they're just the team west of Iowa City. And then you'll also have the analysis saying, oh, but they lost to Louisiana the first game of the year last year. Right. But look at what happened after that. Yeah, it sucks that we lost that game so early, but at the same time, that was pretty much like a kick in the ass saying, okay, now we know what we got to do to excel in this season. 100%, I would agree with that. Also, to circle back to that Oklahoma, it it's one of those things where I, they have the number 10 recruiting, recruiting class in the country. So it's not going to be like last year where, you know, it's this, you, you can just expect Iowa State to beat them again. They're going to have to go in and earn it, and I think they will. So the, the, that's my top four. I think that Iowa State comes on top, um, Oklahoma at two, Texas at three, and West Virginia at four. And then if you have nothing else to say on the Big 12, we can move right into the SEC. Let's do it. So the biggest questions in the SEC for me this year are going to be Florida, Georgia, and Auburn are my big questions. Okay. Um, Georgia's bringing in the number four recruiting class in the country. And I guess LSU is bringing in the number three. So that's another one of those questions I'm going to have. Um, Georgia was, what well, I think, a, a loss behind Florida and SEC. No, Florida just beat Georgia. Actually, Florida had a better or a worse overall record than Georgia. But Florida edged out Georgia, and they had the same amount of losses in conference. Um, I think that Florida is going to be tough for me this year. They lose their quarterback and they lose their number one target in Kyle Pitts. Um, so I think that Georgia is going to take the SEC East because I mean, there's real, what other talent is in that side of the conference? You have Missouri, Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. I don't see any of those teams making a push for the number one spot. Oh, no. It's it's going to come down to Florida and Georgia. And but... I think Florida is going to be good in the coming years, but you're bringing in a new quarterback. You don't have your number one target. Or slot receiver. Or, and yeah, Darius, I mean, Tony. Yeah. So I think that it's, in a sense, almost like a rebuild year. I get that there's no rebuild in college football, but – It'll be a fresh start on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. So I think that Georgia's going to take it um, quite easily, actually. Um, But I I am excited to see if Florida can get back to – because we kind of saw it last year. You know, they have a history of being really good at college football, um, and they weren't very good for a while. So I'm excited to see if, you know, after losing Pitts and Trask, at some point they can get back to that spot. I have a question real quick. Do you think Florida would have made it to the college football playoff if it wasn't for that dumb play? That Shoe the play? Fl- yeah. Oh, I don't know. I really don't. Um, I, I, I would hope not. I don't think that Florida team last year, even with Pitts and Trask, was really good enough to compete in a college football playoff. Um, I think that the, them being that close to Alabama was almost a fluke, and I think that Alabama was looking past them. Okay. Um, Obviously, you know, fluke or not, if you if they win that game, they're in the college football playoff. An SEC champion is going to go to the college football playoff. Um, but I don't. I think Alabama was just looking past them. 
and getting ready for the college football playoff. And that's why that game was so close. Um, but I think Alabama, with their minds right and coming in like they're playing in a college football playoff, stops on Florida. Okay. But the shoe play was probably my favorite sports moment of – 20 of 2021 that was pretty cool it was or 2020 excuse me um okay so we'll head to the sec west um i'm i'm interested to see who you have in your top three of that division (sighs) top three in sec west obviously Alabama, even though they have a QB that has never played a collegiate snap. Um, but we all know what Nick Saban's capable of. Right. He's Nick Saban is Nick Saban. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So obviously Bam at one. And with LSU, you really don't know. But I don't think they'll be in my top three. I think they finished dead last last year after lo- after gutting their offense to the draft. Yeah. Um, I think I think AM is going to take second. And then I'm going to have Auburn third. Because other than that, it's Ole Miss, Arkansas, and Mississippi State. <laughs> Right. My my big question, and I don't know that how honestly I can answer this prediction until I see Haynes King play. We've heard about Haynes King. We've heard all the hype around Haynes King and quarterback for AM. Um, I think it's good that we find that fans will get to see this too. I'm a huge Texas AM Aggie fan, every sport. Um Kellen Mond was great for AM's culture and for Jimbo Fisher's system of trying to change the culture at Texas AM and bring his great football back. Um, he was a leader in the locker room, but I don't necessarily think that he was a top-tier SEC caliber quarterback, is how we'll put it. Um, you know, he <laughs> The best way I can put Kellen Mond is like an, an idiot who just keeps getting hit and keeps getting back up. He he never went down. Um, he was a he was a competitor, but he just didn't have what I think it took to be a top tier quarterback. He and you know he struggled hitting his receivers deep. Um, even sometimes on short routes, he struggled being accurate. Um, he wasn't necessarily great while under pressure. Um, and we've seen some of the things that Haynes King can do. He runs the ball. He can throw the deep ball. He can throw on the run. He can, you know, he can run the play action boot. He can, he, he just kind of does it all. Um, I'm excited to see him actually get to play in the SEC. And I think that'll be my biggest. I, I, I do think the Texas A&M can compete with Alabama. Um, you know, you had a week two loss to Alabama that kept them out of the playoffs. They didn't lose another game the rest of the year. Um, you finish nine and one, there's obviously something good going on down in College Station, Texas. Yes. So I think that they can compete with Alabama, but I, my biggest question is the quarterback. We got to see Haynes King and see if he's capable of it. Okay. Um, so that being said, I'm going to take Alabama and um, Alabama and Georgia playing in an SEC championship game. And then I think we see A&M and Auburn finish at two and three as well. So the only change I have to the top five in that conference from last year is I think Georgia is better than Florida last Florida this year. Okay. Um, and I uh, Alabama I think walks on Georgia and heads to the playoff. I don't see Alabama not going to the playoff unless A and M beats them early in the year. The only I'm hesitant on what Bryce Young will come out and do. Because after a QB like Matt Jones, I 
I don't know. It'll be interesting. I can see that. Um, my biggest thing with that, though, is we saw Tua Tugavailoa come in without with playing very minimal collegiate snaps, come into an SE, or a, a national championship game down at halftime, and they end up winning the game, and then he goes on to be the starter next year, and then the guy goes number one overall. A Alabama quarterback will never worry me. Again, like we said earlier, it's Nick Saban, and I think that I'm I'm not worried about the quarterback play out of Alabama. Um, they, Nick Saban knows what he's doing down there, um, so I I I think that Alabama is going to be fine offensively and defensively. But, you know, I do I, I I'm not saying that they're unbeatable because, like I said, I think if Haynes King is the hype that we all think he is. I think that he can compete with Alabama and that they could knock him off early in the season. Um, but I, at the end of the day, I still think Alabama edges out A&M and I think they are probably competing for a national championship. And it just, it all comes down to Nick Saban and his staff. Okay. So if that's everything with the SEC, we can move kind of toward the Big Ten. And I think that should wrap up the the first episode of Outside the Uprights. Yes. So in the Big Ten, I have the big question out of the Big Ten, Ohio State. They played five games last year. They ended up going to the playoffs. Um they, they play Northwestern super close in the Big Ten title game. And it was, you know, almost a, and A&M fans and every other team on the bubble was saying, hey, why are these guys here? They played five games. They almost lost in the Big Ten championship. Why are these guys ranked above us? Um, I, I just – I don't see anybody taking it from Ohio State um, – not only did they win the Big Ten last year, not lose a whole lot of talent. They're, they have the number two recruiting class in the country again. Um, these guys recruit really well. They – and, yeah, I, I just don't see anyone taking the Big Ten from them. I also don't see Northwestern being as good as they were last year. In a COVID year, um, they kind of just came out from nowhere and played in that title game, but – I don't know if they I, – I think Wisconsin is a lot better than they showed last year. Yeah. They also had to play a good majority of their season, missing I think it was seven of their 11 offensive starters because of COVID. Um, so I think Wisconsin comes out comes on top of the West with Iowa a close second. Um, Iowa's offense is just, you know, it's Kurt Ferentz offense. It's Big Ten football really. If they can, you know, pound the ball on the on the ground and then occasionally come over top with some big plays, um, I think they'll be fine. Um, but like like I said, I think Wisconsin takes the West no no problem. They played half the year with seven starters missing, and it showed in their overall record. You know, um, I don't I don't see anyone pushing Ohio State in the East Division though. I think Ohio State can run through the East. So I think you see Ohio State and Wisconsin in a Big Ten championship, and I think Ohio State takes it and they move on to the playoffs as well. I agree with the East side of things, but instead of Wisconsin, I'm gonna have to go with Iowa. You think Iowa? I think Iowa can come out on top in the West. And that's – I I can agree with that to a point. I had a lot of trouble picking between Wisconsin and Iowa. My thing is, you know, with Iowa, they the new quarterback was in last year. He, he struggled early and then kind of reined in toward the end of the year. They lost two within – they lost two of their first three, and then they didn't lose again. Um, so if he can come out and perform to that level that he played the rest of the season the entire way through – I think they could make a push to beat Wisconsin in the West. Um, but at the end of the day, whether it's Wisconsin or Iowa at number one in the West, I still I don't see either one of them knocking Ohio State off. 
I could see Iowa making a run for their money, but like you said, I don't I don't see Iowa or Wisconsin beating Ohio State. Yeah, they're just Ohio State's just you know one of those teams that's it's hard to pick against them. They're it's like a, it's they're they're the Alabama of the Big Ten at right now anyway, and in recent years, and I see for the foreseeable future, it's hard okay. to pick against them, especially when you have the number two recruiting class in the country. Who's uh who's Ohio State starting quarterback this year? I honestly couldn't tell you. Um, quick Google search could tell me though. Quinn Ewers. Oh yeah. Wait. True freshman. I'm not going to say anything. I'll just let this season pan out. <laughs> so I think your playoff teams, you're looking at Clemson, Alabama, um, Iowa State, and Ohio State is my way too early college football playoff. You said Alabama, Clemson. Iowa State and Ohio State. I think it'll be the winners of all their conferences, especially because I don't think Ohio State loses a game. Um, and if Iowa State's going to win the Big 12, I don't think they lose a game either, except for maybe a loss to Ohio. Maybe they lose to um, um, Oklahoma in the regular season and then beat them in the um, Big 12 title game. But either way, I think the Big 12 champion will go. And I think the same with um, the SEC and the Big 10. And, I mean, I don't see anybody beating Clemson in the – ACC either okay as much as the hype lives around Notre Dame and they you know they they beat Clemson last year but they also beat Clemson without their quarterback and they later go on to admit that they beat Clemson because their starting quarterback wasn't playing um but that kid from Clemson is now going to have time to develop he's just the sole snap taker DJ, DJ something, right? Yeah. Um, now that kid, it, it's his team. He knows it's his team. He's not going to have to come in and play, you know. I mean, all eyes in the country were on that game, and he almost won that game. It was a shootout. Um, so I don't think Notre Dame takes them out now that that kid is com- that's completely his team, and he's not just coming in to fill in for Trevor Lawrence. Is Notre Dame still in the ACC next season or this season? Yeah. Okay. Yes. They are actually trying to get put in the ACC permanently. Really? I, I didn't see that. Yep. They're, the ACC is making a push for it, and Notre Dame is um, is expected to stay in the ACC permanently. Okay. A lot of realignment going on. It, don't even get started <laughs> on that. So, that's all I've got for college football, and we're, I think, like – Four Saturdays away, maybe less, maybe a little more. Uh, I'm super excited, man. I cannot wait for college football to start up, and I can't wait for the rest of this um, MLB season. Uh, obviously, I won't be rooting my team on in the playoffs, but I'll be rooting my former my former favorite players on in the playoffs, so I'm excited for that, and um, I'm super excited that we finally did this, and uh, it's – like I said, it's, this has been something that we've talked about hundreds of times and never really pulled the trigger on. So the fact that we were able to get here and sit down and I'm going to hop up on a flight here in a couple hours back home, I'm excited that we did this. I'm, this was awesome, and um, I'm excited to promote it and get it going out there for everybody, and I just, I just can't wait, man. This is, I'm glad that we finally pulled the trigger, and all it took was a text. I just said, dude, let's do it, and you were – that's all it took for you. You said, all right. <laughs> yeah, I was tired of all the talk, and it's time to take action. I agree, man. So this is I'm, – I'm super excited about everything going on right now. Um, 
All right, well, I guess we'll close it out here. This is Dylan and Zach on Outside the Uprights. Make sure to hit the subscribe button on Apple Music and Spotify. Or let, me, let me try that again. We'll edit that out. Um, all right, well, I think that's it, guys. Um, thank you for tuning in to Outside the Uprights. That's Season 1, Episode 1 with Dylan and Zach. Make sure to hit the subscribe button on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And we'll catch you next week. See ya. See ya.